As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to a new VanCast. Jeff Patterson along with Thomas Drance. J. Pat and Drance are back for another session of Canuck Talk. But before we get into hockey and bubbles and hub cities and everything else, Drancer, uh, let me say belatedly, but happy birthday, buddy. Oh, well, thank you, man. Yeah, no, I turned 33 in quarantine yesterday. It was, uh, it was a weird experience. I took the day off, so I didn't help uh, the boy genius sort of grade Jim Benning's tenure, which is the fresh content you can read at The Athletic today. Uh, I took the day and just sort of hung out, ran some errands, uh, finished up my patio space. Like, I've really fleshed out my outdoor space with some tomato plants and, you know, a, a nice little table set up. I, I assembled a grill about 10 days ago. So, you know, had a steakhouse dinner at home, like really, really went in, like my wife went in last night, like she made mashed potatoes and a beefsteak tomato salad, and I had a 12-ounce bone-in ribeye um, cooked to perfection in the, you know, uh, <laughs> in the, the sort of big uh, metal pan. Oh my God, why can I not think of what it's actually called? Anyway, uh, lovely steak dinner. Had a great time. It was uh, it was a lovely birthday. Like it, it felt special, even if I couldn't go anywhere or be with anyone that I love. So so it goes. Except my wife, of course, who I love very much. <laughs> well, enjoy it. Enjoy it Thanks, because it, it could be forty months before you get a chance to celebrate another birthday, based on the way time is moving forward <laughs> these days. So yeah, no kidding. Um, and you know, time has become a flat circle in the NHL, especially JPAT, because you know, two and a half months into the pause. Uh, three weeks after a draft was argued for by the league, we have no draft, and the league has come back to the playoff format that was most widely discussed the weekend following the pause, um, you know, with the 2014 format. I mean, it's insane how on ice the NHL has seemed over the past two and a half months, and, and fair enough. 
Yeah, just quickly on birthdays. Like, man, I hope mine's like late, late <laughs> October, so I'm, I'm hoping oh, that I'm hoping that we're back to some sense of being able to get out and celebrate those types of things by the time October rolls around. And you may remember last October, my birthday dancer, because Tim Schaller scored a goal uh, for you and for me uh, against the Florida Panthers of all teams. So it was a big night all around. And did you see Tim Schaller commented on? Thatcher Demko's training video, his preposterous training video where he's doing the like uh, cross crease movements with no skates on the grass uh, in front of a cross net. And he, he comments on it, Sieve. <laughs> <laughs> Loved it. Uh, you mentioned Harms column that is up at The Athletic now. Uh, today is the six year anniversary of Jim Benning's hiring by the Vancouver Canucks. It's funny. I, I mean, I know it's six years. It does feel uh, in many ways like it's been longer than that. And maybe that's all because of uh, what we're going through now, but also the fact that uh, these last four years, let's be honest, have been pretty dark. And so, uh, you know, the question now is, and it's being asked an awful lot, and let's get right into the mailbag because it is one of the questions that is being kicked around. So we thank everybody for the contributions. Today's show uh, is essentially listener-driven uh, via your contributions on Twitter. So we thank everybody that uh, reached out to us. We'll try to get in as many of these as we can. And if not, we'll uh, save a few. Uh, we'll get around to do another one of these uh, in the not-too-distant future. But... Uh, People are asking, and, and this is Capitalist Chris on Twitter, says if the Canucks lose in the play-in round, did they make the playoffs? And that is sort of this question now, you know, where are the demarcation points for uh, who qualifies? What are the playoffs? Are all of these 24 teams that are being brought back in apparently, you know, does that make them playoff teams or will the playoffs always be a 16-team tournament? I vote no. I vote if you lose in the playoffs. Uh, play in excuse me you did not lose in the playoffs you did not make the playoffs the playoffs are when you have a seven game series uh, that begins with 16 teams in the dance until you're there you're not there and and I do think it's going to be the cleanest solution all around for the league to enforce that in terms of the draft order in terms of the conditions on picks in terms of everything in terms of playoff scoring I don't think the play in Play in production should count toward your play in playoff scoring record. If the if the Stanley Cup winner comes from among the teams that have to play their way in, I don't think it should be factored into their Con Smythe case. Um, I think it's gonna gotta be differentiated and clean, and I think that's gonna, gonna be the easiest way to figure out you know everything uh, in terms of sort of how the league's going to govern uh, this sort of weird situation that that it looks like we're driving toward. Yeah, and I'm with you there. Like, and I, I think the label defines it. I mean, it's a play-in situation. You are playing to get into the playoffs. Like, baseball's got this, the one game. Nobody ever remembers the team that loses, right? The team that wins advances to a playoff round and then has a chance to win the World Series. And so you're playing for an opportunity to prolong your season and to actually be part of the playoffs. But I, I think that, you know, we're going to see that these teams that go by the wayside, there's no way... Uh, you can call them playoff teams, but, you know, the Canucks are an interesting example because a guy like Jim Benning, we just talked about, you know, four years at the helm without playoff hockey, you know, would he look at it like, you know, hey, this year's different, I get that, but, you know, in his mind, would this end his drought of, you know, overseeing a group that hadn't been in the postseason for the last four years? So we'll see. In my mind, and I think your mind too, 
the answer there is no. To be in the playoffs, you've got to be one of the 16 teams that advances uh, to the, the ultimate you know, showdown, if you will. Uh, the second question along these lines, this one comes from Ryan Walker, who calls himself a VIP slash friend of the show at Avalanche on Twitter. Uh, will the round... Will the round-robin games be treated as playoff points for goals and assists or as regular season totals, i.e., does Jake still have time to hit 20 goals in the regular season? Oh, God. No. I say no. I say they are postseason points but not playoff points. It is a distinct beast from the regular season. Uh, I don't think that it should count as part and parcel. Like I don't think you can play a maximum of, if you're a Canucks, 70 four games now um i think it's over i think the regular season is is done unless they sort of come back and actually play it out and and so it goes and and it's funny that jake is the poster boy for this conversation (laughs) and not and not quinn hughes you know what i'm saying like jake wasn't the only guy chasing anything but for some reason canucks fans are obsessed with getting jake to 20 um you know i don't get it but there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of history that was lost in this season, Jake getting to 20 goals, guess what? Not among the things that matter. Quinn Hughes may be breaking the, the rookie record or for, for defensive scoring uh, among Canucks players. Maybe breaking the all-time record for a scoring defenseman. Like, that's going to be a blight. A, a real blight on the history books for the Canucks. Because what Hughes did was, was really, you know, a game-changer for this franchise. And for some reason, everyone just wants Jake to pot two more uh, so they can shotgun a beer. Like, you can shotgun a beer whenever you want. You don't need Jake to score to do it. So um, just wanted to put that out there. No, fair enough. I mean, nobody talks about JT Miller. He needs three to get to 30. Like, that's a more significant right. milestone. And there's Way probably a, and there's probably a better chance that with added games, JT Miller was going to get to 30. That, like, who knows how many more games Jake Furtanen would need. But his production had slowed down. People forget... Drexler, that final game against the Islanders, the the last game that they played, uh, Brock Besser came back. Jake Vertanen was on the fourth line. Like, Zach McEwen was the third line right winger because he was in a bit of a groove. He was playing with Gaudette and Roussel. Jake had been bumped to the fourth line on the right side there. So, again, who knows how long it would take him to get those two that he needed, whereas JT Miller uh, was on such a roll all season long that it probably wouldn't have taken him many games to get the three that he needed to reach the 30-goal plateau. No, I would have done it on that last road trip. <laughs> yeah, quite, I mean, they probably needed possibly. him to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. All right. Uh, talking of shortened seasons, uh, at Marcus Meyer twenty seven, Marcus underscore Meyer twenty seven on Twitter. Uh, oh, sorry. We'll get to Marcus's question. I, I'm out of turn here. This one comes from Scott Robinson at Flip Robinson. Are there any salary cap implications to the premature end of the season? As in, are there any schedule A or B bonuses on the Canucks roster which will be missed if the Canucks don't resume uh, what, the, those that might, most likely would have been met? I appreciate this question because it springs from hope eternal. Like, please, please, maybe allow the Canucks to have less than a $1.7 million cap overage penalty next season when the cap is at best flat and has a chance of declining. Uh, no, the answer is no. Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson, because they're absolute bosses, already hit their Schedule A and their Schedule B bonuses. Those are locked in. Uh, the only other real sort of guy who had a shot uh, was Adam Gaudet. Adam Gaudet probably had a chance to hit one of his Schedule B, uh, Schedule A's, uh, which would have been time on ice. 
Um, he probably needed a, a couple injuries and, and to get more ice time than he was getting down the stretch uh, to really sort of get into that. I think it's top six in aggregate ice time um, would have secured him, you know, one quarter of that 850K, so 212 point five thousand dollars uh he won't get there so no no none of the other guys eligible for performance bonuses will would have hit or or will hit um they had no chance really it was it was Pedersen and Hughes and they already did the business all right the next question is from Marcus what are the main differences between how you two us cover the team, i.e. with Durant's writing and J-Pat more of a radio guy, do you have different schedules slash routines on game day because of your different responsibilities? I'll let you handle it first, <laughs> and then I'll come in with the truth. Okay, how about how about I handle yours and you handle mine? All right. <laughs> Just to make it adversarial, all right? Okay. So the thing about J-Pat's day-to-day is that J-Pat is actually a radio hit that dreams that he is a man. J-Pat does four radio hits a day on a game day, at least. Um, hits all of the shows, literally every show that TSN has. And then, at 6.30, goes back down and does his game day uh, sort of hit for the pregame show. And then postgame, he does another hit for the postgame show. So there's really never more than a two-hour gap between J-Pat talking on the radio, which leaves him very little time uh, to talk to me. Um, in, terms of his, in terms of his flow in the locker room... J-Pat needs to be with the news of the day. So he needs to hit the biggest scrums, the highest interest topics. And he often needs to both film and record them. And because he needs to catch good audio for his primary function, which is serving the radio station, he has to stand at a weird angle, which which results in him uh, capturing all sorts of his media colleagues in, in awkward angles. Um, and then... Uh, that's sort of, that's sort of the, the main thing that I see. On a, on a game day, J-Pat's on the radio every two hours and is doing multiple functions and scrums, but really has to be focused on the, on the sort of highest interest, um, you know, biggest storylines of the day, laser focused day to day. Yeah, I think you covered that reasonably well. And Drancer's game day, he shows up well-dressed as usual. Uh, that's the first part. Got to look good. I'm a <laughs> yeah. radio schlub, so it really, it doesn't matter to me, but no, I mean, I, I think the difference is that you have the opportunity when you work the room to spend a little more time with your chosen uh, target. <laughs> Target's probably not the right word, but you know, you have an idea in your mind of the stories you're working on, the angles that you're taking, and you can sort of uh, drill down with select guys and not worry so much about uh, reaction to news of the day or you know the opponent on the other side. Uh, you know, there's more of a focus, I suppose, in, in what you're doing and your ability. You know, we're all limited by the fact that the dressing room's open for about 30 minutes after a, a morning skate. So it's how you allot your time and how you use it. And uh, yeah, and so, you know, you're able to uh, go a little more in depth. And we see that in uh, the stories that you write, uh, whether it was, you know, a week with a, a week in the life of J.T. Miller or, uh, you know, your love affair with Tim Schaller when he was still here. Um, and then, you know, a lot of it is information gathering, trying to find little nuggets that, you know, you can throw into the athletes afterwards. Uh, so it's not so much about, you know, finding things right then and running and pounding away on the keys because you're essentially assembling uh, for what's to come. And that is, you know, integrating uh, moments from the game with things that you have picked up throughout the day that you can then uh, apply to 
uh, the Athletes. I, I think that's right. Although it's the armies now, but but totally right, understand sorry. the, the errors and omissions um, yes. in in that case. But no, I think that's I think that's fair. And then you know just the composing of the armies when when you are on an armies game day, like it feels like um, like competition almost. You know, like I wake up the day after writing an armies and I'm gassed because I don't have a ton of time to get it done. Like I'm not I'm not a big deadlines guy in that I, I'm not going to focus on the deadline I got to hit, but. Or, or talk about it too much, but it is a pretty tight turnaround considering the demands and the expectations for like video and multimedia and stories you won't find anywhere else. Like the expectations for the armies are massive. We hold ourselves, like I put my, a lot of pressure on myself to do them right. And, uh, you know, post game anyway, that can become, you know, quite the scramble um, on the production side to, to make sure that it gets out and that it gets out to a, to a quality that the VIPs are happy about because JPAT, here's the best thing about the VIPs. If it's not, I hear about it. <laughs> yeah, of course you do. And 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 yeah. look through all of this. Uh, certainly on the road. I mean, again, things differ home and away. We all have our own routines at home, uh, and it's almost always a, a a split schedule kind of day, right? A split shift. You go to the rink, you go home, and then you come back for the game at night. On the road, uh, it's important to make sure that you get what you need in the room, and then figure out where we're going for lunch. And right. lunch was <laughs> let's be honest, lunch was a highlight yeah. along the way. I mean, whether totally. it was Pecan Lodge or uh, Neptune's in Boston, you know, there were a number right. of very very solid lunches. Lunches lunch is an important meal in this business, and so it was important to get uh, the work done at the rink so that uh, you could get on to the real matter at hand. And that was where were you going for lunch? <laughs> yeah, we 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 had some good lunches, man. We we pulled the, we pulled out the stops. Uh, Andy Lau uh, at a loud brother. Uh, what do you think is the biggest misconception players and media have about Vancouver as a fan base, both on and off Twitter? Uh, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I, I get this question from a lot of people about misconceptions in the fan base. Uh, look, I think it boils down to this. And people come at it from different ways. They just want a winning product on the ice, right? Some are louder than others. But ultimately, we all, even us in this business, we want to cover good hockey. We want the hockey season extended. I don't know that there are misconceptions. I think it just boils down to how people get around to voicing their opinions. The fact that what's happened here the last four years, it hasn't been good enough. There have been individual performances that have been good enough, and they've entertained. And we've spent a lot of time talking about those, uh, and you know the players that I'm talking about. But overall... People just want to see those dark days of no playoffs end and see what this team could do if it could get, you know, on any sort of postseason run. 100%. And the other sort of thing that I'd add is, like, I think people know the score. I don't think there's a lot of misconceptions. I think right. people I, know I about the passion, about the way that this fan base reacts to things, about how small issues become large issues, and about how the appetite to discuss minutia in this market, you know, far exceeds that of any other market. I actually think the biggest misconceptions come from people who see a level of uniqueness in the Vancouver market that doesn't actually exist, right? So people are, you know, Vancouver's the only market that riots. It's like, nah, like you can find a ton of sports riots in the history of the world if you go and widen your lens beyond the NHL. Um, this is the only market that cares about scouts or the or the head scout. Like, nah, I, I mean, I've been reading Newcastle coverage of them sort of looking for a new recruiting director, and it's pretty at length. Like, there's a lot of interest there, and I and I see our colleague Jonas Siegel has just written a profile of Jim Pagliafito, who is of course the European scout. 
primarily responsible for helping the Maple Leafs attract European free agents. Um, obviously, Trevor Timmins is covered at length in Montreal and on and on. I mean, the only thing that I sort of think is a misconception is like everyone knows what this Vancouver market is. Everyone knows what we're like on Twitter. The only thing that I think is maybe over overfitted in terms of diagnosing what's up is that there's some sort of idea that it's wholly unique when in fact it's just extremely passionate and there are a variety of sort of things that it has in common with other passionate sort of fan bases across sports. Uh, you mentioned scouting. I don't have the question in front of me, but I know it was asked. Who would be a bigger loss to the Canucks, Judd Brackett or Ian Clark? Yes. Uh, this is the question. I just want to make sure we credit our asker. This question came from... Um, oh, my goodness. This question came from RJO at yeah he did who would be a bigger loss bracket or Ian Clark I think this is a tough one I think they're both extremely valuable parts of the organization um you know when I consider the like the thing about goaltending is I don't know a lot about it right I don't I don't know a ton of I can't see what a good goaltender is versus a bad goaltender based on raw skills like we're talking about margins between an elite goaltender and a you know out of the league goaltender that's like 15 additional saves every thousand shots. It's like, I can't see that. My eye's not trained well enough to see that. I think that's a remarkable thing to be able to understand in depth and to be able to consistently get better performances out of your goaltenders. Like, I mean, that's a wild, wild level of value if you're able to do it do it the way that guys like Ian Clark and Rolly Melanson have uh, in their Vancouver tenure. So for me anyway, I mean, it's hard to put and quantify the impact on that. But when you consider that, you know, Clark has had enormous levels of success with the likes of Luongo, Sergei Bobrovsky. Obviously, Jacob Markstrom, you know, has, has hit another level. Uh, Columbus's front office, Bill Zito, gave him a ton of credit for helping them identify in the draft in, in terms of scouting guys like Merz Likens, uh, guys like Corpusalo. So, I mean, that to me suggests that uh, ascribing that level of expertise and sort of furthering it, further empowering that, uh, can have even sort of further knockoff impacts, positive ones for an organization. Um, in terms of what Brackett's done, I think Brackett's helped the Canucks draft better than just about any other team over the last four or five years. Now, the Canucks have also had better picks, right? They've they've had more opportunities to really make hay, uh, but they've also sort of been able to mine, you know, a ton of additional talent, whether it's Brock Besser in the late first or Adam Gaudet in the fifth and I mean, I think there's no question. You talk to people around the league and, and Brackett's work is very highly regarded and considering sort of the wasteland that has been Vancouver Canucks draft classes over the years, like playing a significant role in altering, fundamentally altering that history, uh, you know, that can't be understated either. So, uh, I mean, I think you're always losing if you're losing in the boardroom in the NHL, especially in a hard-capped league. And I think losing either is uh, is obviously a negative sort of impact for the team. Uh, picking between the two, I, I think I'd probably take the goaltending the goaltending expert, the world class goaltending coach, just because if you don't have goaltending, you are absolutely dead in the water. And based on you know what the likes of Billy Zito have said about Clark's role in identifying amateur goaltenders or European free agent goaltenders, and on and on, um, you know I do wonder if he's a guy who could potentially have impact beyond. 
just you know working with the NHL goaltenders on their form for an organization. Yeah, I'd go with the goaltending coach as well, and that's all due, with all due respect to Judd Brackett, who, as you say, I mean, it's irrefutable that he's had a hand in uh, these years of terrific scouting by the Vancouver Canucks. But, you know, I, I still think from the outside looking in, it's impossible to know. You can't assign a value to each draft pick and say, you know, Judd Brackett was responsible for 64% of this guy and 87% of that guy. It's collaborative, and I think that's what upsets people about the fact that you know this was working for the Canucks and uh you know for whatever reason there's been these breakdowns and it certainly looks like it's beyond repair and we're all expecting that Judd will walk when his contract expires but the department as a whole uh has produced results and that's not easy to do in the National Hockey League and so you know I think people just wanted to think that somehow some way uh they could patch up the differences figure out a system that worked uh, that would allow them to keep moving in the right direction. But there are other people out there that can scout. There are other people out there that can identify talent. And, you know, we'll see what the Canucks do if they replace Judd from within, if they go outside the organization and bring in others. We saw all that turnover last year after the draft. And, and look, scouts do move. It's not like, you know, th- this isn't the only guy. I mean, we saw in Los Angeles, Mike Feuda has basically kind of been uh, pushed out. I mean, at one point, he was as highly regarded as anybody in hockey. A lot of people thought he was going to be the next general manager. His name came up in a lot of those discussions for, you know, candidates for open GM jobs. And my sense is Judd will move on and probably continue to have success. But it's possible that the Canucks could replace him uh, and still have draft success. Ian Clark uh, seems to have that knack. And as you kind of laid out there, it's not just with what he's done here in Vancouver, but elsewhere. And so much of what he does is you know, off the ice, I think the, the mental side of the game and taking these elite athletes and getting them to believe that they can elevate their game and get them to that next level. And he's done a nice job, uh, certainly with a guy like Jacob Markstrom. So uh, I would think, you know, right here, right now, uh, losing Ian Clark would be the bigger blow to the Vancouver Canuck organization. I know you can had I a- jump in here. Can yeah. I jump in here real quick? Yeah. I just want to just want to mention on Clark, too. When I did that, when I did a piece on previewing the Canucks goaltending situation prior to the season. What's remarkable about talking to Clark and then talking to both Demko and Markstrom in a short span of time, and I don't even think I picked it up until I was transcribing it, but he seems to have very specific terminology that they use too. Like there's like a very specific way of speaking and thinking about the position and their jobs um, that they use, like that, that seems so integrated and I, I, it was just something that struck me as, as like a fan and observer of language and, and maybe not something that I've even ever said or discussed or written about, but the way that his system has, you know, specific terms and phrases and, you know, formulations and the way that Markstrom and Demko, without thinking about it, use those themselves, parrot them back um, to me was a, was sort of just a fascinating wrinkle. I also want to jump in with our next question just because we got to go to the agenda setter, uh, Taj 1944, because he he said, and I hope this is tongue in cheek. Why do you think the Judd Brackett situation has been so underreported in this market? Can you shed some light on the situation? (laughs) Thank you. Why has it been underreported, J-Pat? I think it has to do with the fact that uh, we've been so focused on hub cities. (laughs) Can't get enough of of hub cities. Uh, Right. Yeah, I'm going to take that as a tongue-in-cheek question. And uh, actually, you know, I'm kind of glad that, you know, look, it reached its peak. And it's a story. For the people that say it's not a story, like, get out of here. Ridiculous. Uh, It is a story. 
Uh, and even if the Canucks were playing games and now in the playoffs, like, it would still be a story. But I think it's obviously uh, gotten the attention it has because there aren't a lot of other storylines around the team or the organization. But um, uh, it, that, that's the part in all this that drove me nuts where these people from sort of the outside, they're like, big deal, he's just a scout. Why is everybody talking about it? It is absolutely a story. And I think it's got the coverage it deserves. And it's not done yet. I mean, obviously, uh, we'll see no. how it plays out. I don't think there's going to be any 11th hour sort of, um, you know, rescue mission to make this work. I do anticipate that Judd Brackett is done with the Canucks when his contract is up at the end of June. Uh, but that brings in some other questions, too, because, of course, now it's sounding more and more like the draft isn't going to happen until late summer or even into September. So, you know, they've gone all season with this director of amateur scouting who's kind of been on the outs now he will leave but you know what will that do ultimately to the way the Canucks go about uh, putting together their their final draft list yeah and and lots of questions around the league about what's going to happen to people's uh, to staffers whether it's scouts or coaches I mean there's interim coaches whose deals expire on you know uh, midnight on June 30th and so you know, there's a lot of questions about what's going to happen with all sorts of, you know, personnel around the league. Uh, you know, you think about the return to play, right? Just just putting on my old PR hat. You think about the return to play, like the NHL returns to play and all of a sudden locally there's a ton of news breaking about XYZ scout coach, assistant coach, strength and conditioning guy who's who's no longer with the team. Like nobody wants that. Um, so, you know, I, I bet you the league will ask uh, it's it's various teams to honor contracts through the league year. Um, we'll see, you know, how sort of acquiescent teams are to that request. But but that's sort of how I expect this to go down. Now, in, in the case of a relationship that's seemingly fractured like that between Bracket and the Canucks, it is an alternate route sort of pursued. Um, I'll be curious to see, but there's no question that at least internally, Brackett is still active and actively leading preparations for the Canucks uh, 2020 draft effort. I know you had a couple other questions you wanted to get to, so I'll let you throw the next bunch out here just in the interest of time. Uh, I've got a sure. couple that I want to finish up with, and then we'll get to uh, name that Canuck as well. But well, I know that there were a couple. I'll just do one. To... Okay. I'll just do one. It's from the pizza guy at the pizza guy. <laughs> Hashtag VanCast, what is your favorite Jim Carrey movie? Oh. Um, Scarborough I, Boy. Good Scarborough Boy, know, Jim Carrey. That. What's and, your and favorite I, look, Carrey movie? I've said this before here on the podcast. I've said it before on the radio as well. Like, I, I'm, like I've seen lots of movies. I'm, I, I don't consider myself a movie guy. Like I go for the two hours of entertainment, and then it's like in Not one ear and out the other. I, I, don't ret- I don't retain a ton. Like, you know, um, I know... The Mask and those type, you know, like he's done obviously Ace Ventura. <laughs> the mask. Like, no, like I'm not saying those are his best. Like I, I'm just yeah. <laughs> those are the movies. Those are the movies that jump to mind when I think of Jim Carrey. Obviously, he's branched yeah. out into drama as well. Um, but I don't know. Like I, I, if you have a stronger opinion on the filmography of Jim Carrey, fire away. I just again, it's not necessarily uh, my area of expertise. Dumb and Dumber is the correct answer for okay. for favorite yeah. Jim Carrey movie, in my opinion. Uh, but I got to give a significant tip of my cap to both Man on the Moon, the excellent Andy Kaufman biopic. Um, obviously, I'm a big fan of both Andy and Jim. And also, I think The Truman Show is a classic, like an absolute classic. One of one of my favorite, you know, 25 films anyway. Uh, and Jim Carrey's excellent in it. 
Well, I, Dumb and Dumber was great and still is, and I, so I, we can agree on that uh, yeah. at the very least. Okay, let's finish up with a couple of quick ones here uh, from at Canucks Jays. Would you rather have Markstrom, Toffoli, and Rafferty on the team next season or Markstrom, Tanev, and Levo? Asterisk, I picked Toffoli. My hunch is Drance is going to go with Levo, though. Let me know if I'm right on the pod. You know, he's not right. You take Toffoli, <laughs> take Toffoli every time, I think, over... Yeah, I mean, look, you take the high-end first liner who was, you know, point per game and taking four shots per 60 minutes at, at five on five, like... Tyler Toffoli was shooting everything. He was super helpful uh, down low on the power play. And I think there's a chance that he found something like real chemistry with Miller and Patterson. Um, you know, I was really impressed with the 10 games we saw of Toffoli in Vancouver. Um, I, if I'm Canucks management, sign me up for more of that. And if I need to go in, like if, if Troy Stetcher is in my top four next year, like fine, I'm willing to live with that and and just try to sort of um, fritter around the edges. I mean, I also think Troy Stetcher is a lot better than, than you know, just a third-pair defenseman. So, uh, you know, my, my view of it anyway is is you definitely go with the higher-end winger there than the aging defender and the and the middle six-winger. Um, I don't think that's a difficult one to answer at all. I think Tavoli's a really good top-six winger, and based on what we saw in his 10-game cup of coffee with Pedersen and Miller, in that situation could be, you know, really like a, not just a bona fide but but maybe a top, maybe a high end first line contributor if he can keep that sort of level of production and shot volume up. Yeah, no, I don't think there's any discussion to be had there. Uh you lay it out perfectly. You're going to take the the top end producer and like I think people have moved on in their mind from Chris Tanev. Um anyhow, Which is too bad. so yeah, it is too I, bad. I, like great great person was an unbelievable soldier during his time here. Like just like really did a great job um, and did a great job this year with Quinn Hughes too. I mean, you know, I know that, I know that people are dusting their hands of Chris Tanev, but like his exemplary Canucks career does deserve, you know, a, a respectful hat tip anyway. Um, if this is in fact the end of it. Fair enough. But I, I just, you know, if you could yeah, sign Chris Tanev to a series, if you could sign him to a series of one-year contracts at this stage, fine. But I think it's sure. the fear of locking into, you know, some ridiculous term that ultimately is going to come back to bite you. And they right. just don't have that flexibility. So I think people understand why it's going to have to end the way it does. And on to Foley, and I was thinking about this, and I mentioned it on the radio earlier today, but, like, I honestly think he must have moments where he wonders if he was really truly a Canuck, right? Like, 10 games. <laughs> yeah. 10 games. And then the season's halted, and, like, you know, he arrived on the scene, and he played two, and then they went out on that Eastern Canadian road trip, so, you know, he wasn't even here in town. Uh, he was out on the road, and then he came back, and now he's been riding out this storm back in his home in Los Angeles. You know, he, he had never been traded before in the National Hockey League. All of a sudden, like, here he is, and this blip of 10 games that went remarkably well, as you point out, but it just it must seem odd to him to think that, like, when he gets the call, you know, he's going back to Vancouver uh, just because his time there was so short so far. But uh, we'll see how it plays out, and uh, there was no doubt uh, a nice acquisition for the Canucks and certainly the 10 points in 10 games. Uh, you know, he found himself in a great spot, as you point out, with Patterson and, and Miller. And, uh, yeah, and made a meal of it. Play. Yeah. All right, let's uh, finish up with this one, and then we'll get to name that Canuck. Uh, This comes from Matthew Tavendale at NZ Van Fan. So, New Zealand Van Fan, I suppose. 
Uh, yep. Can you can you please increase the number of requests to speak to Messier and include VanCast listeners on the calls? Alternatively, give us the contact details and let us ask as well. Now we mentioned I, a couple I weeks never, ago. I would never do that. <laughs> <laughs> there's no. There's no. There's nothing that anyone could ever do that I would subject them to, um, especially if, especially with the rep that Mark Messier has in this city, to the, to the calls of fans. I, I just, uh, uh, you know, my PR guy, my PR guy streak runs a little too thick for for, for such shenanigans. Although I love the suggestion, um, increase the volume. I, I I send a follow up email that's never responded to every two three months, and um, I think that's a level of volume that saves me from you know, harassing, but, but is persistent. And, and I don't think I can step it up much more than that, but, but I do appreciate the encouragement. Well, I'm asking, or I mentioned this one because a couple of weeks back I had promoted the fact that Messier was supposed to join the guys in Edmonton. I think it was oh, uh, for shade. their pod. And, yeah. and throw, we throw talked it to about, Jeff, throw it to Jeff. Well, we, <laughs> we talked Tom about it. We kind of had a laugh about the fact that, you know, a Vancouver podcast, you wouldn't want Messier, although look, it'd be fascinating somewhere down the line, oh, but tremendous. But then Messier no-showed for the podcast in Edmonton, and I think the reason given was he was too busy. Who, like, who, who is too busy these days? <laughs> I love it. Um, just wanted to pay tribute to his Canucks tenure by no-showing. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. All right, that's a nice segue then. Uh, we thank everybody for their contributions to the mailbag. You know, we'll continue to do this uh, from time to time as we work our way uh, through all the uncertainty here uh, on the VanCast, but uh, you can always be certain that we're going to finish up strong with another edition of Name That Canuck. All right, you ready? Yep. Okay. Uh, the 1996 draft yielded next to nothing for the Vancouver Canucks. Just 90 total NHL games from eight players that they selected back in the days when the draft had nine rounds. First-rounder Josh Holden accounted for 60 of those 90, so it really was a lost cause, that 1996 draft. However, four players from the seventh round of that draft went on to play more than 500 NHL games, including this player, who eventually spent parts of two seasons with the Canucks. Parts of two seasons with the Canucks from the 96 NHL draft. My God. Um, okay. So 96 NHL draft, Josh Holt. So, but really we're talking about like, like, you know, a guy who'd now be hitting 40-ish, right? Like your, your Brent Sopel sort of peer. Um, Sorry, just let me take my time and work myself through this. So so a guy who probably retired six, seven years ago and spent parts of two seasons with the Canucks um, from the 96 draft. I'm going to guess... mm, Oh, my God. I'm going to guess... Willie Mitchell? Too long. He spent too long with the Canucks. Uh, but uh, but I've said it. Willie Mitchell, that's my guess. Uh, it is not Willie Mitchell. Who, right. by the way, I think you guessed first when Brad Richardson was my guy. <laughs> I like to guess Willie Mitchell, so it goes. <laughs> Apparently so. <laughs> 
All right. You know what? Another another BC kid with Florida Panthers connections. So there you go. Fair enough. Hey, whatever your reasons. <laughs> I just like your first guess is going to be. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Second clue. After four NHL stops and a stint in the KHL to finish his playing days, this player is currently the head coach of the Ontario Hockey League's Windsor Spitfire. Oh, I got this one. I got this one in the bag. And you oh. know how I got this one in the bag? Because I, after we hired former Windsor Spitfires owner, Bob Bugner, oh. in Florida, in Florida, everyone started texting, asking about a specific former Canucks fourth liner who they all thought would be named an assistant coach in the near future. OHL already talking about Trevor Latowski as the next Panthers assistant coach. Oh, man. Um, so See, I didn't the know answer you had a has got to be Trevor Latowski. I didn't know you had this personal connection to the player. Oh, you didn't know that I had a personal connection to Artem Chubarov's longtime former linemate? Come on. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I like the third clue. We didn't even get to the third clue. Maybe I should have made the okay, second sorry. one. No, the second yeah, one. Yeah, well, one, once you didn't know my, my in-depth knowledge of Windsor, Windsor Spitfire's uh, politics circa 2016 to 2018. No, but when you mention Bob Bugner, it still reminds me of one of my favorite stories from this past season out on the road <laughs> in San Jose when yeah. he had just been re- had been hired by the Sharks, demolished. I suppose. And, well, and they were demolished that night, like 8-2, right? Something like that. And we're in the... I'm talking about the elevator story. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and so the elevator op- door opens. You and I are riding up the elevator. Door opens. Bob Bugner's there. And... It was like one of those moments, like, you clearly were the last person in the world he was anticipating seeing when the door to the elevator opened. The look on his face was priceless. I uh, know. It was awesome. Um, you know, we, we spent a lot of time together, obviously, so um, just, just to, yeah, I mean, it was like ghost of ghost of hockey passed in, in a low moment for him. Um, but, look, Bob's a good dude, and uh, and I think, he's a, I think he's a talented coach. Like, I think... Obviously, things went sideways for him in Florida, went sideways again in, in a really tough situation in San Jose this past season. Um, but, you know, really detail-oriented, really smart guy. Uh, I do think if he gets a shot in a more stable environment, uh, you know, he, he could make some noise and, and, and be a really effective NHL bench boss. But um, to your third question, J-Pat, what was the third clue? The third clue was was involved in perhaps the most alliterative trade in NHL history with Todd and Tyler dealt for Drake and Dennis. <laughs> wow. Wow. That, that's a good one. I also, did you see, it was Yerky the other day who, who shared a transcript. Yerky21 on Twitter shared a great transcript of a job interview uh, that he'd had in the past, in the very recent past, and the transcript reads as follows, and you can find his tweet on um, uh, on his Twitter account. But he interview, um, are you one of the stars on your team? Asks the interviewer as like a as a question, right? And he resp- responds, "Haha, no, I'm a Canucks fan, so I usually say I kind of serve the role of the team's Trevor L." And the interviewer interrupts him and goes, "Linden," and he goes, "Litowski." <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a good laugh at that yesterday. Ah. Just to finish up the housekeeping then, for people that are wondering, the, the trade was Todd Warner, Tyler Bouk, and Trevor Latowski from Phoenix to the Canucks for Drake Barahowski and good old Dennis Peterson. Yeah, well, and, and even Barahowski and Latowski has a, has a nice yeah. little ring to it. 
Um, you know, the Eastern European nomenclature. Uh, and also that uh, 1996 wasteland of a draft, Josh Holden had 60 games. Zenith Komarniski had, I think, 22. Uh, so that makes up uh, the bulk of the games from that draft Yikes. class for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, Steve Mayer, the chief content officer of the NHL, is Pierre Lebrun and Scott Burnside's guest on uh, Two Man Advantage this week at The Athletic. And we should also point out, because uh, you mentioned it right off the top, uh, Harm has basically assessed uh, Jim Benning's six years on the job and uh, has a new piece up at The Athletic. And you guys also uh, had a bit of a fun read on, you did the top 10 prospects and also posted now at The Athletic, uh, I think it was released yesterday, was uh, comparables, high-end and low-end comparables for each of the Canucks top 10 prospects. Uh, and our high-end comparables were nowhere near optimistic. People wanted us to be like, Pod Colson's the next Ovechkin. Like people are people are disappointed that we picked Pavel Busnevich, but better defensively, even though Pavel Busnevich has scored at a 50 points per season rate for the last three years while playing a top six role every day. Like, that's a really good player, people. A really good player. Like, Callie Yarncroft, like, oh, I was hoping for more than Callie Yarncroft from Nils Hoglander. It's like, are you kidding me? If you get Callie Yarncroft on an entry-level deal two years from now, like, that's the sort of piece... That can put you over the top. Like, come on! We've really got to. We've really got to calm down in terms of you know keeping expectations reasonable for prospects. And we still had some ridiculous ones, like Alex Goligoski for for Jack Rathbone or a less physical Kevin Bieksa for Brogan Rafferty. Like, these were legit high end comps based on statistical metrics. We, we you can't expect every prospect in a system to have a top end that's like an actual NHL star. And so, anyway, people people graded with our approach, but uh, I stand by it. Well, the column is a good read, so check it out. The column is a good read. Check it out. My favorite part, though, was the comment section quickly turned into oh. a shitstorm of arguing oh, about the careers of the comparables, not the prospects and how they project, <laughs> but people then got into these great arguments about Kelly Yarncroft and his career or you know yeah. any of these players that you... I, I, I got a kick out of that. Yeah, Matt Pumple didn't make it because of his speed. It's like, uh, okay. <laughs> Tremendous. Good fun. Love the VIPs. And good fun here uh, on another edition of the VanCast Rancer. Uh, have yourself a good weekend. We'll reconvene and see if, uh, again, there's any uh, news on the return to play uh, from the National Hockey League. Check out our comments section for each podcast episode at the Athletic app. And don't forget to rate and subscribe the VanCast on Apple. If you click on the show URL, theathletic.com slash the VanCast, you get 40% off your subscription. So again, uh, as I started, I'll say it uh, a belated happy birthday to you, Rancer. And Thanks, uh, yeah, that's going to do it for this uh, edition of the VanCast here at the Athletic and theathletic.com. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.